Y'all ready? I'm ready. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. New series, Your Jesus. So we have two kids, uh, just to kind of let you in on this. Most of you know, some of you don't. We have a 10-year-old and a 4-year-old, and um, we... we <laughs> We, we may need to, need to take it easy on the budget, but we have a, a kind of a weekly or biweekly uh, kind of trip to Target uh, scheduled in there. And uh, they can only spend so much money to get a toy or something. And so just the other week, uh, we got Jaziel this, this toy. And as you would know, if you have younger siblings or if you were a younger sibling, everything that the older sibling has, you want. And so Judah... You know, Jay only owns it from Target to the ride home. <laughs> but as soon as it gets home, it, it belongs to Judah. And we have to constantly remind him that Judah, it's not, you can hold it. It is yours, but it's your brother's. <laughs> it belongs to him. And um, I think so much of the same with the local church. And uh, I think that we have, ex- many of us have accepted Christ as Savior and and. and going to heaven and our souls are saved we've been forgiven sins washed away all that great stuff and I think that if the church isn't careful we can get so used to thinking that Jesus is just for us um, that Jesus is just in the four walls of the local church or uh, back there in the kids ministry or you know the his ain't he's here and the angels are outside in the parking lot watching our cars you know what I mean we get real deep about it but a lot of times we forget that Jesus doesn't just belong to us as the church he also belongs to those who are outside of the church. Right. Right. He, 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 <laughs> um, contrary to their belief, he belongs to the atheists. Yeah. You know, he, he, wow. he, he came for the unbeliever. Yeah. He came for those who are strung out on drugs, addicted to alcohol, those who have made very rough and tough and bad decisions as all of us have in our past. There was a time when many of us didn't know Christ, yeah. but he found us. And so this series is all about how Jesus brings the goodness of God into the life of every person, not just the local church, but every person whose heart is open to trust and receive him. Just to give you some historical context, in Jerusalem when Jesus was coming up, there was a group of uh, spiritual leaders. Their name was the Pharisees. They were like your local church pastors. They ran the synagogues, which were these local places where Jewish people would come and Worship God, pray, hear the law, hear a sermon, go home and and see you next week. Um, But the Pharisees, they were a tough tough bunch. Um, They were teachers, yet they were very strict. In your Bible, Exodus through Deuteronomy, you have a little bit over 600 laws that the Jewish people uh, wanted to follow in order to appease God and to please God and, and, and to find right standing with God. On top of... Exodus to Deuteronomy, the Pharisees created this book called the Talmud. The Talmud added on another few hundreds of laws on top of there. Some would even say around 1,200 laws on top of the 600 that were already in the Bible. And so they made it. Jesus said, you, you, you lay burdens on your followers. You make it very hard for them to experience the presence of God and the goodness of God through all of these laws. No, you can't dress like this. No, you shouldn't have, you know, if you have an earring, it only needs to be this size. Like, there's a law in the Old Testament. I don't know if I could get down with it, y'all. But it's in Leviticus. And I'd be like, God, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I can follow you because I'm in there every week. 
there's a law in the Old Testament that says, uh, and a man cannot edge the corners of their heads. <laughs> and I'm like, no, Lord, give me that edge. I need a lineup. It's a blessing. Right, you feel me? I don't know about you, God. So thank God for Jesus, right? You get a, get a shape up, you get fresh. There's a law in the Old Testament where you can't wear different materials together, cotton and nylon. And, and so anyway, but uh, thank God for Jesus. So Jesus came along, and um, as was the case with him, um, you know, just virgin birth, um, raised by a carpenter. So he, he was a carpenter. He built things. And I love it when Jesus told Peter, he says that um, you are Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church I'm going to build my church. Jesus is a builder. So you know you're becoming more like Jesus when you want to build the church. Super steps after this. We'll see you back there when you want to build the church. That's when you're growing in your faith. That's another message. But Jesus, uh, the Bible says that he grew in stature and in favor with God and man. That stature means that he grew in wisdom and he, he was healthy on the outside. So he... He placed value on his body, and, and he was very studious, and he was on time. He was just an excellent person, the greatest man to ever live, but he also grew in favor with man, so people liked him. Another great thing about Jesus is that he taught in parables. The Bible says that when he stood up to preach, and he would visit synagogues, he would be a guest speaker. When he stood up to preach, he would preach in parables. The word parable, if you're taking note, is the word parallel in the English. So he would tell stories. Um, the Pharisees would stand behind here and they would be very heavy and just verse for verse and word for word and black and white. And the people were just like, I can't do that. Jesus would come up and he'd say, you know, uh, one day there was a baker. There was a farmer. There was a judge. One day there was a person he did this. He did that. And it just it, it helped them to lean in. And so everyone understood the teachings of Jesus for the most part. And the only ones that his his teaching was hidden from were the Pharisees, because they didn't think that Jesus was deep enough. They, they didn't think his words were big enough. They didn't think he taught from the word of God enough. Like he, they even asked Jesus one time, they said, where do you think you get this authority to, to teach the way that you do? So they were very threatened by Jesus because his ministry was growing and their synagogues were emptying out. Because oftentimes what we don't understand, we are afraid of. And when we don't understand a thing, we want to put it in a box. But Jesus was not going to be put in a box. And so I love it. Not only is he favor with man and favor with God, but um, he displayed God's power in the lives of the people. And I'm going to share you a verse right now of how he did that. Matthew 4 says this. It says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. The good news. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. The good news. The kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. He healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria And people soon began bringing him all who were sick and whatever sickness or disease or if they were demon possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. 
he healed them all. Jesus lived with open arms. They're sick, oh, bring them to me. They're tired, bring them to me. They're hopeless, bring them to me. And a lot of times we read this verse and we're like demon possessed. And and we just, we throw the demon possessed in with the sick and with the diseased and with the tired and with the broken. But come on now, think about this. Demon possessed. Yeah, they're sick. But beyond that, these are psychopaths. This name may ring a bell. These are the kinds of people that Jesus ministered to. He was their Jesus, right? Uh, names like uh, Charles Manson, murderers, Ted Bundy, like murderers and violent people, unfortunate, you know, what's going on in our nation right now, but the, these people who are shooting up schools and shooting up places, he would have healed them. He would have come to me. I love you. There's a reason you're doing what you're doing. And, and what you're doing is just a symptom of what's really wrong. It has nothing to do with the fact that you hate people, you're racist, you're prejudiced. You're the, it, it, it's a symptom. That's a symptom, but you need to know that I love you and you can be set free of that. So, so the main thing that Jesus did was he ushered in the kingdom of heaven into the hearts of men. And so... And he made himself available to everyone. He healed the young and the old and the rich and the poor and the Jew and the Gentiles. If you're not Jew, you are a Gentile. Jesus brought the goodness of God into every person's life that he encountered. And might I add today, if you're a follower of Christ, and if you've been following him for any length of time, the goodness of Jesus has no expiration date. So you may feel like, man, I've been, I've been following Jesus. Pastor, this series ain't for me. You know, hit me up in, in October. No, 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 no. I believe you, you, you need to understand that God is still working. He's still up to something big. He's still healing. He's still growing you. He's still making you stronger, and he's building your faith. I want to bring a message to you today entitled, Allow Me to Reintroduce Myself. Allow me to reintroduce myself. We are a note-taking church. I encourage you to take notes unless you learn through listening, unless you have a great memory. But please lean in, take a note. I feel like when you don't feel like doing something, you have to make yourself feel like doing it. That's how faith works. I, you know, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like, I don't feel like. No, no, no. You, you tell your flesh what you're going to do. And so t- today, let, let's take a note, and, and, and hopefully it'll, it'll add some value to your life and to your faith. You ready? So I believe if, if Jesus was here, and if he had 30 minutes to talk to you, he'd say a couple things. And um, I think the first thing that he'd go ahead and say is, is this. Uh, Luke 4, it says this, God's spirit is on me. <laughs> That's funny. Like, he'd come in, hey, God's spirit is on me. <laughs> God's spirit is on me. 
He's chosen me to preach the message of the good news to the poor. He sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burden and battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. I think the first thing that Jesus would say to sum that up is this. I have come so that you can live in freedom. You can live in freedom. You can live in freedom. Um, I've kind of shared some of this, but not, not to this extent. From the age of seven until present day, m- most of my brothers have been incarcerated. So I can remember uh, my first visit to see uh, the brother who's closest to me. He's eight years older than me. I remember my first visit to juvenile detention center, going to see him. And um, all throughout the years, just be it an orange jumpsuit, gray, blue. They just they change colors wherever you are. And um, seeing them and seeing them brought in either on chains, fetters, you know, shackles, you know, or, or whatever. It was it was it was jail. It was they were locked up. And um, I'll tell you what, after 20, so 26 or whatever years, however old I am, I'm 30, I'm 21. Don't don't you know, don't say don't ask me. You never get used to it. You never get used to seeing those that you love shackled up. And so while we're talking, it's like, man, like, yeah, you're doing good. Yeah, you're doing good. But you're thinking in your mind, like, you shouldn't be here, dude. Like, you should be in the front yard playing ball with me. You should be home with your nieces and nephews. This really shouldn't be where you are. There's something not normal about me being on this side and you being on that side. There's something not normal about seeing a 20-year-old young man or 34, however old, for that matter, locked up in fetters and shackles and in chains. And so every time throughout the years, every time it was time to go, we were going to go home and they were going to go back to their cell. I could sense, even as an eight-year-old man, like when it was time to go, there would be like this, this sense of like shame that would come upon my brothers. As if to say, like, man, I... They're thinking in their minds, like, I I should be going home with you. But there's a sense of shame that, you know, I've done wrong. I deserve to be here. I'm guilty. I have sinned. I've done wrong. I've been caught. And there's always just this shame. And you'd always see their countenance and and their posture just kind of going back. And every time, every visit, we would cry as they would head into their cells and as we would get in our cars to head back home. And I believe that this is the truth for a lot of people right now, is that we may not have physical fetters or physical chains, but there are spiritual fetters and chains that a lot of us are just, especially for Christians, God has already freed you from a lot of stuff. But, but, but we just put those fetters and those chains and those shackles back on us, and it all comes from a, a spirit and a mindset of guilt and shame. And so that's what I love about this verse. Pull it back up. Jesus said this here. He says he's chosen me to preach the message of the good news to the poor. He's not talking about money. He's talking about those who are poor in spirit. Those who don't have, watch this, the peace of God in their hearts that comes from right standing with God. When when, when you've accepted Jesus, let let me help us out here. When you've accepted Jesus, you have received a right standing with God. What does that mean? That means that all of your past, your present, and future sins have been forgiven. And I think that when a person comes to Jesus, they may not know the full extent of the inheritance that they receive from heaven. That's the full extent of it. Your past, your present, and your future sins are all washed away. And so there's this dynamic that they teach you in seminary 
or you can say uh, in, in, in commentaries and in books, the, uh, let me get the wording right here, the is but not yet dichotomy. So the thing is, is that you are saved, you are right with God if you've come to Jesus, but you're not fully saved. You're not fully saved, why? Because Christ hasn't come back yet to redeem us from our flesh. Paul talks about when you come to Christ, there's this war between the spirit who wants to follow God, and then there's this war against the spirit and and the flesh who doesn't want to follow God. So your spirit is like, okay, there is God, there is freedom, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's peace with God. Woo, I'm walking in it. Thank you, Jesus. I'm loved. I'm chosen. I'm equipped. And then there's the flesh that says, here you go. Here's a temptation. Then you fall into it. You cuss someone out at work. You're on that computer at 2 a.m. when no one's around. You're texting that person you shouldn't be texting. You're looking at that man or that woman you shouldn't be looking at. And you do it. And, and th- that's when the shame begins to set in. Like, How in the world can I go to church? How, you know, I, I hear super steps and get in a group, but man, if these people knew the real me, how I think and the things I do, how could I ever serve the Lord in this state? And what, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're putting fetters, chains, and shackles on ourselves spiritually. When Jesus said, I've, I've come to set you free and to let you know, there is no beef between you and I. It's, it's the very reason I came was to die for your wrongdoing, to die for that low self-esteem, that negative thinking, those bad habits, that addiction. I came to set you free from all that stuff. I love you, and I'm here, and I want to take off those chains and take off those shackles. And I want to give you a new life. And so this is it. Is not only did Jesus teach, and not only did he heal people, but the most important thing about what Christ did is he bore our sins on, on himself. So your sins, watch this, are no longer your sins. They belong to him. It's no longer yours. It all belongs to him, and he took it all to the cross, and your debt has been paid. And so now you're free. You don't have to pay the penalty for sin. You don't have to go to God explaining. You don't have to say, well, God, I'll get it right next week. I'll do the right thing tomorrow. I promise, Lord, if you do this for me, I'll... Come on, y'all know y'all. Y'all know y'all do that. Lord, if you open this door, I'll stop doing that. No, you ain't. No, you ain't. No, you ain't, because there's the battle. And all God is looking for in your faith walk is progress. He's not looking for perfection. He knows you're going to do it. (laughs) But there needs to come a day to where you grow so much in your freedom in Christ to where you're, you're stopped being bitter. You're, you're, you're no longer unforgiving. You're no longer sleeping around. You're no longer smoking around. You're no longer, yeah, I'm getting too raw. Yeah, there needs to be a progress because you understand that I'm free now and I'm forgiven. So he says, I've come to, 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 to set you free, to set you free. It's not God's plan for you to be shackled to fear. Go ahead and write this down because you're going to need it on Wednesday. To be shackled to fear. It is not God's plan for you to be shackled to depression. It is not God's plan for you to be shackled to worry. It is not God's plan for you to be shackled to addiction. It is not God's plan for you to be shackled to shame. 
You remember Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, mom and pops. We all descend from them. Remember in the garden? I was talking to you about this last night. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, like, super tired, ready to just go to sleep. It's just, get sad, man. It'll, it'll, It'll teach. Let me do my thing. Child told me to do my thing, Pastor. He said 930 was crusty. Do your thing. He didn't say that. I said that. They were. They were crusty. Yeah. All right, wake up. 930 used to kick y'all's butt, 11. I mean, they used to be hype, but now they're just we're sleeping. Or it's the coffee. So anyway, no, I was just saying, like, man, like, hey, let's think about this. I'm putting up clothes in the closet. I said, like, let's really think about this. Hey, babe, how's your day? Uh, I talked to a snake today. <laughs> okay, well, you know, um, it is a pretty primitive time in human history. I guess that'll work. So you talked to a snake? Cool. What did he talk about? Oh, um... We just, we ate some fruit. (laughs) From which tree? Because it only grows from trees. Babe, you really should try it out. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Have you lost your mind? (laughs) This brother didn't say nothing. He just following his wife. And here we are right now. <laughs> and so now Jesus has to come and set us free and all that stuff. You know what I mean? But what my point is, is this shackles of shame. My point is, is this, is that when they did that, they, they had the knowledge of the fact that they had sinned and that there was evil in the world. And so what happened? They, they went. The first thing that they did was they tried to cover themselves up by their own works. All right, God, I went to church. I prayed the prayer. I read my daily bread today. I hugged that person, but I haven't forgiven them, but I did hug them. I said hello, and I smiled at them, and they're trying to cover it up with works. I gave my offering. You know, they're trying to cover it up with works, and so God comes, and he says, where are you? Where are you? He says, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? He didn't ask him because he didn't know. He, God, God will do that. He'll prowl. You know, why, why, why are you hiding? Well, because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? And so for, for millennia, it's been this, this shame walk. So the reason why Jesus came, he came to redeem us from what Adam and Eve did because all of us from that day have been born with a sin nature. So sin, sin affects us directly and indirectly, meaning when Adam and Eve sin, some people are now born with certain defects. There's actually a story in the Gospels where this guy is blind. Come on, my man over here, he with me. There's a story where a guy, he's blind. And so um, and so they ask, like, what did his parents do for him to be like this? Jesus said they didn't do anything. He was just born this way. 
And, and, and that shame just carries on. That, that consciousness that we are sinners and that we're not right with God. And the Bible says that Jesus purifies that with his blood. So Jesus came so that you would be free so that tomorrow morning, wake up and smile. Wake up light. I am forgiven. I am loved. This is why he's my Jesus. He's my Jesus. That church may have treated me that way. They may have kicked me out. They may have done this. I may have made some bad mistakes, some bad decisions. But he's still my Jesus. He's still my Lord. He's still my Savior. I'm approved. I'm forgiven. And I'm called. You need to wake up in the morning just like that. Just like that. This is the second thing I believe that he would say. He would say that John 10, 10, NIV, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come. The thief is the enemy, the enemy of your soul. There is a devil out there. There are many of them. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The second thing he would say is this. He would say, I have come so that you would live your best life. You would live your best life. And, and, and so I, I love it because even as we make that statement, your best life, you're thinking, you're, you're already lining it, oh, this would be good. A million of my savings, a cruise next summer, not having to work at eight to five, yeah, that'd be my best life, right? You're already thinking. But there's a study <laughs> out now, millennial, uh, millennials, we, we, the study showed that millennials, we really care about purpose and making a difference and that was one of the prevailing principles that we wanted to live by as millennials. They're saying now Generation Z, and I honestly think this is true for every generation if we had to be honest, but they say Generation Z, their number one ambition is um, money and um, a great financial portfolio in which money within itself is not evil. Nothing in the Bible you'll ever find where money is evil. People... <laughs> People misquote scripture all the time because we all do it. Even people that don't go to church. Money is the root of all evil. <laughs> what? Well, you're missing like a piece there. <laughs> no, it's the love of money is the root of all evil. Right. Not money. Money ain't evil. Money feeds you. Money clothes you. Money, money gets you going. Money ain't evil. It's what you do with money. It's how you fill in your heart about money that makes it evil. Money is not evil. Um, and, and, and so Generation Z, I love this quote from Jim Carrey. He says this. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And this is a guy who, uh, before his career started, he wrote by faith. You can call it faith or inspiration, whatever, because I, I don't know what Jim believes. I know he's a good guy, but he wrote uh, uh, he put $10 million on a voided check, and he put it in his pocket before his career started. And within a fast time, he got $10 million. From before his career started, he got the $10 million, and now on this end, he's saying, I wish everyone would get rich. <laughs> I wish they would get famous so that they would see that that is not the answer. That is not the best life. So a lot of us will say, man, I wish I could live in that neighborhood, or I wish I could... I could get that degree, or I wish I could be in with that group, or I wish I could be cool with it for our students, with those group of students. Oh, my God, that's the popular crowd. I wish I could be in with you. Can I talk to my students for a second? Yeah. <laughs> About, like, high school dynamics and 
who people turn out to be. Uh, the very people that you care about, their thoughts about who you are and how you dress and what you got and what your mama and your daddy don't got, these will be people in about 10 to 12 to 15 years that you won't really give a rip about what they think. Because nine times out of 10, I'm not trying to be judgmental. They ain't about to do nothing. So be free. Like, seriously, be free. Because, oh, man, they're great. They're, they got done. They're doing this. They're doing that. You're going to look back one day and you're going to be like, ooh, Lord, I, I was in love with her. <laughs> Is this too real? It's a new series, y'all. Come on. Man, I had a crush on her. You're going to start thanking God. So what I'm saying is, is <laughs> don't put your value in what people think. Anyway, back to the text. So this best life thing, Jesus would say, you know, God gave me a dream because at one point in my life, I was pursuing medicine hard, hard, hard. And, um, and I, was, I was teetering and tottering between medicine and, and, and ministry, in which medicine can be ministry. I believe you need doctors out there that love the Lord and who are going to treat people nice during their appointments and all that stuff. Yeah. But God gave me a dream that same year in 2011. And in the dream, I was walking into my workplace, which I, at the time I was working at an outpatient office, cardi cardiology office. And there was this young doctor who was in his residency years, and he was coming out of the office. I was coming in from lunch, he was coming out, and he was very distressed and distraught and discouraged and just like, and so in the dream, I'm like, how are you doing? Like, what, what's going on, man? Looks like you're having a tough day. And he says, man, I'm just, I'm tired, and I want to quit. These patients, my attending physician, my professors, it's just so much stress. Later on, when I received the interpretation and the, the clarity of the dream, is um, it was interpreted to me that that doctor was me coming out. Distressed, distraught, broken, torn. And the guy, me, was actually me, but it was the me who was going to choose Jesus' route for my life. And, and if I could draw out of the dream and just talk life now, in that season, what I saw was, man, if I work hard enough, because it was my dream to be a cancer surgeon and, and to spread the gospel through, through medicine and, and to go with um, Samaritan's Purse. It's an amazing organization. If you're a believer and you're a nurse and you're a volunteer, you, you want to volunteer, do Samaritan's Purse. If you're going to be a doctor, if you're a doctor, link up with Samaritan's Purse. That was my dream. It was, it, was, it was Superman. Oh, man, I could heal physically and I could preach the gospel. It was rooted in pride. And then, though, and then this was it, I would get a check because I'm on staff at a prestigious hospital. But I'm healing bodies, I'm saving souls, and I'm on the staff at a prestigious hospital. And I thought that was the good life, but it was all going to be based upon my efforts and my hard work and my plan and my goal. This, though, ministry? Ooh. Whew. There was no grandfather. There was no uncle. There was no dad. There was no pastor who was going to pass down a church to me. At the time, I didn't even think pastors should get paid. So it was all this like, how am I going to eat? Do I work full time and serve people full time? Like, what does this look like? On this end, it was, man, I work it, 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 I'll get it. 
But what the dream showed me was that I was going to do this, do this, focus, goals, world, world, status, acclaim, power, money. Uh, I, I was going to be, uh, it was going to be at the cost of my peace. It was going to be at the cost of my joy. It was going to be at the cost of healthy relationships. It was going to be at the cost of the very faith by which I said I was going to do it in the first place. And so God was showing me, man, if you pursue this, you're going to be tired. You're going to be broken. It won't be the best quality of your life. But if you would just trust me, if you follow me, if you do what this thing says, if you would grow in Jesus, if you would walk with Jesus, if you would allow the Holy Spirit to direct you. The, Jesus told us about the Holy Spirit. He said that the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. This is why it's so important to grow in your relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Because you can be in a season where it's like, do I stay in Maryland or do I move to Texas? And you don't need people's opinions. Sometimes you don't even need your pastor to talk into it. You need to know what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit might say, hey, you think it takes a lot of faith to move to Texas, but it takes more faith to stay in Maryland. And you really need to know what God is saying. Why am I telling you this? It's all because the decisions you make today will be the results that you live in tomorrow. And so when Jesus says, I have come because the thief comes with his suggestions, he reroutes you, he lies to you, he works on our emotions, and, and he's trying to get us to make decisions when we're all frazzled. Not we don't know, we don't know what it's going to lead to two, three, four, five years down the road. But the Holy Spirit will say, settle in. Because I'm not working on your external. I'm not working on your finances in this season. I'm working on your heart. I'm working on your soul. I'm working on your mind. I'm working on your spirit. And if we can get that right, I'll start to bring the blessing in because I want to trust you with those things to change people's lives. I want to give you the best quality of life, and that starts spiritually. It starts spiritually. I heard that flourishing was so powerful. Ladies, if you were here, was flourishing powerful? Celebrate flourishing. I love it. I love it. I heard it was powerful. And um, the topic was forgiveness. And um, I'll just tell you, PK, uh, I've, I've told some of you this before. A lot of you are new here, but there was a season um, in our old ministry where it was just a very, man, it was, it was tough from every side. Like, Square, pentagon, octagon, hectagon, just add, just add the angles. It was tough from everywhere, every side. But we, we were called to still serve people while bringing a new baby into the world. And um, many of you know, like, she went on bed rest, and we were bringing in, like, 500 bucks a check. It's 1,000 bucks a month. And the temptation in that season, watch me. So we're talking about living your best life. The temptation in that season, because we were on staff at a mega church, was to blame our pastors, the board of elders, and the campus pastor that I was serving under for not increasing my salary. That was the temptation. But instead of being tempted to be bitter 
and to be harmful and to be nasty and to slander the name of the church and the name of the pastor and the elders and the people, we instead said, God, this may be what the church can pay us, but you can, what you can provide is a lot more. So what is the lesson in this season? The lesson is, is that right now is a perfect time to grow in faith. This season is a perfect time to grow in trust. This season is a perfect time to keep serving with a smile on your face, to keep changing lives, to keep lifting people up. Even when you feel like you're on the bottom, I'm building something on the inside of you. And this season is going to pass. But it's in those seasons where our lives get snuffed and we're never able to grow spiritually to the point to where we have the peace to the place where we grow when someone does something to us or they say something to us or a situation comes it just rolls off and that's really what God is trying to build in you is a worry-free stress-free follow me life so when Jesus came because Israel was like man yeah Messiah Messiah as a matter of fact the the verse that we just read uh, Luke 4 18 through 19 is is actually a verse in Isaiah and so no, no teacher of religious law ever taught this verse when they visited the synagogue because it was the messianic verse. Right. And so when Jesus pulled out that verse, which Luke translates it, but it's a verse, it's actually a verse that finds its, uh, its founding in Isaiah. When Jesus spoke that verse, when he taught that verse, I have come, God's spirit is on me. He was essentially saying that I am the Messiah. I'm the sent one that's going to deliver you. They didn't like that because Israel thought that the Messiah would be someone who would deliver them from the oppression of Rome and put them back on top. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? They thought that the Messiah would give them military rule. They thought that the Messiah was going to give them money so they never have to worry another day in their lives. And even now, Jews in Israel are waiting on and looking for the Messiah. But Jesus did not come in that way. He cares about our bills. He cares about our finances, but he more cares about our souls and our heart and our health and our peace and our power and our strength. That's what he cares about. And that's where the best life is lived in the spirit, not in the external. Jesus even said, what good does it do to gain the entire world but lose your soul? Give me my soul. Take the world so that God can be glorified in my life so that I can walk in freedom so that I can live the best life that God has for me. He's your Jesus. And if you're in a struggle right now, it's all because he's calling you to prayer. He's calling you to his word. He's calling you to worship because he's saying that the struggle is just a symptom. If I don't fix this, you'll never live the best life. But if I fix this, there's no stopping you. If I can fix this. He came so that you would live the best life. The best life. This is the third thing that he would say. He would say this. John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Here it is. Here's the promise. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. He would say this. He would say, I came so that you would fulfill your God-given potential. 
you do know that you're created for more than an eight to five. You, you, well, if, if you don't, now you know. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're talking, he, he's talking about works. What are we talking about? Come on, Jesus, like raising the dead? That's like, yeah. You. You're destined for that. And I just, I, this is what I do know, is that if we're not careful in America, because, uh, yeah, I was reading some stats the other day. It said that church attendance nationwide is down 30%. And I'm like, like, how can this be? You, you, you've blessed America so much. But on the flip side, you have countries like India, Japan, China, where, where hundreds of people are gathering in basements, singing songs like we sing them, but they have to whisper them. Because if they don't, law enforcement will come in and beat them and arrest them or even kill them. There are certain nations like Afghanistan where Christianity is illegal. And we have AC, monitors. Whoo, I'm getting chills. This? And we're like, uh, I ain't going today. And so we'll come in a service like this and we, we literally will. Uh, uh, and that's the same spiritual posture we have Monday through Friday. What is that? That is sitting on potential. That is a spirit. And if I can invite you into my, my world, I, I like to think in terms of prevention. So if a thing is going good, ride it. Don't wait until you get into a crisis to serve the Lord. Don't wait until you need resource to begin to tithe. Don't wait until you're crying your eyes out because you have a situation to begin. Like if it's going good, Let's up the ante. Let's not be the church. Let's not be the city where attendance is down 30% on a Sunday when we're free to worship a God who is so good, who has been so faithful. At the very least, we can come in here every Sunday and lift our hands and give him glory. Or if you're not here, go somewhere. But with that, your God-given potential. Like I said, I have two kids, and Jay's... um, Aptitude for reading is next level. Even when you pick them up from school, I should send you to pick them up one day. You'll ride around and you'll see as it clears out, he's sitting down. He's not running around, not playing. He's sitting there reading a book. And so we're just trying to figure out what is that God? How can we support that? How can we build into that? How can we invest into that? Judah right now, he's four. He's so good with his hands. He just, and he'll work on stuff for hours, hours. But, when you look at Judah, you think you're looking at a four-year-old. Bro, you're looking at a 40-year-old. That dude is like, he'll ask you something, but he already has the solution. He already knows how he's going to get what he wants. Uh, he's, he's very futuristic in his thinking. And um, 
So last night I was praying over both of them, just, just laying hands and just asking God, like, bless, bless them, give them vision and give them strength. I am, I'm so broken for this generation that's coming up. And so I specifically asked, and I laid a hand over Judah's head, and I said, bless him, God. May he love you. May he serve you. His generation is going to need him to point them back to you. Bless him. Anoint him. May he never befall financial issues. May his kids be blessed. May his grandchildren be blessed. I mean, I went Old Testament on Judah. His generation is going to need him. And so I was just in Orlando, Florida a couple weeks ago with my dad. It's the first time he told me this. He said, son, you remember when you first gave your heart to Jesus in 2006? I said, yeah. He said, you came home for Christmas break from college and you were just you're sitting at the dinner table. We, we've never said grace before as a family. You, you let grace. You start talking about Jesus and all this stuff. And we're like, yes, yeah, son, that's great. Praise God, Jesus. Yeah. He says, son, when you left to go back to Tallahassee, as soon as you left the, 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 the room, as soon as you left the house, your grandma looked over at me. As soon as the door closed, you, you got on the road. Your grandma looked over at me. She said, Herb, you mark my words. And I was a sophomore in college pursuing medicine, pre-med. She said that that boy is not going into medicine. He's going to be a preacher, and God is going to use him to lead thousands of people to Jesus. And he just told me that story, and it brought tears to my eyes about a month ago. I said, Grandma said that for real? I said, yeah. She saw, she saw that God-given potential because you had you had you had. You had gotten so deep into Jesus, not church, not religion. You had gotten so deep into him that the calling and the anointing on your life was so evident. It's when you get deep into Jesus. It's when you get passionate about Jesus, not coming to see me, not hearing the music, not the school, not anything else. It's when you get passionate about Jesus is when your passions begin to begin to arouse. So go ahead and write this down. Oftentimes, your God-given potential, oftentimes your God-given potential is right beneath the surface of your passion. There's something that you lose sleep about at night. There's, there's something that you want to change and impact and affect in the world. That's that God-given passion. A lot of you have unusual aptitudes for administration, for finances, for, for prayer, for worship. You, you are so great at it. You're so good at it. Arts, craftsmanship, math. A lot of you have unusual aptitudes, and it's supernatural. But Jesus came to release you and to set you free. 
so that you can live with passion, so that you can live with purpose, so you can fulfill your God-given potential and make this world a better place when you leave. If Jesus was here, he would say, yes, I came to save you so you can go to heaven. Yes, I came so that you would have the best quality of life spiritually. Yes, I came so that you could fulfill your potential because I want my glory to be shown through your life. Potential. Potential. And what do you have to do? Last point. If you're going to experience all these promises that your Jesus gives, you got to give your life to Jesus. You got to give your heart to him. Give your heart to him. Trust him. Let's go ahead and pray, church. Father God, we love you. We honor you. We love you. We bless you, God. Maybe you're in here and you say, Pastor Josh, I I need Jesus. I need him in my heart. I need him in my life. I need him to be Lord of my life. Or maybe you, you know Christ, but you haven't been walking with him. So we're just, we're going to pray a prayer together. If you want to accept Jesus into your heart, if you want to repent and come back to him, give him your life. Give him your life. There's some of you who believe in here, but you haven't trusted him. Give him your life. Give him your heart. We're going to pray together as an entire church in honor of those who are praying this prayer and receiving Christ for the first time. Church, repeat after me. Say, Father God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I repent. I turn from a life of sin. Give me your spirit. Make me new. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate that. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.